In this edition of In Tune, we are sharing our colleagues' podcast, Smarter Investing, for an economic outlook to 2022. Enjoy. Welcome to BMO Smarter Investing, the new podcast series that's all about helping you make smarter investment decisions. Join top BMO economists Douglas Porter, Sal Guattari, and Jennifer Lee each month as they discuss the latest market developments and insights. Together with a panel of special guests, they'll take a deep dive into topics, trends, and forecasts that are relevant to new and experienced investors. Welcome to our second podcast of the Smarter Investing series. Today, Chief Economist Doug Porter, along with Jennifer Lee, Ben Reitzes, and myself, Sal Guattari, We'll discuss the outlook for the Canadian, U.S. and European economies and interest rates in 2022. Doug, let's start with Canada. It's been a roller coaster year with a strong start, followed by a contraction in the spring. And now what appears to be another upswing, the one that's dampened by the B.C. floods and another COVID wave. Where do you see Canada going next year? Well, I think simply put, the uh, the roller coaster ride is is not over yet and i think every comment we're about to make over the next 20 minutes or so has to be taken with a bit of an asterisk given the profound uncertainty we're all dealing with uh, with the new variant we don't pretend to be health experts but i think at the very least we can assume that it's going to throw at least some sand in the gears of the canadian and the global economy over the uh, the winter but our fundamental view much like the past year is that even with all of these challenges and this new uncertainty there's still a lot of gas in the tank for for the Canadian economy. I mean, you know, we saw a number of challenges last year and the Canadian economy still managed to grow by over 4% and we're looking at roughly 4% growth in the year ahead. I do, I do want to step back just for a minute. When we look in the rearview mirror at 2021, at one point forecasters such as ourselves and even the Bank of Canada was looking at the Canadian economy growing by 6%, even 6.5%. And we came up well short of that. And I, I would put it down to 3 major factors that led to growth being way below expectations. And in each case, I think we can expect a bit of improvement in the year ahead. First of all, there was the very well-advertised supply chain issues and where it really hit Canada was in the auto sector. We actually had lower automobile production in 2021 than we had in 2020. And there are already signs that the chip shortage is starting to get a little bit better. And so we do look for some improvement in the auto sector in particular, but supply chain issues more broadly. Second factor, we had a terrible drought in Western Canada. And this this is something that people don't talk a lot about. It wasn't really that widely spread in, uh, in the markets. The agricultural sector, let's face it, is not a big part of the economy, but it it had such a heavy blow that that was as as least as big of an issue as as the supply chain issues in restraining growth. Hopefully that improves over the next year. And of course, finally, there was the spread of Delta and you mentioned that the outright decline in the economy in, in the second quarter of the year. Now we are dealing with Omicron now. We don't know exactly the extent to which it's going to delay or defer growth, but our, our view is it won't be as serious a hit to the growth outlook in 2022 as as the pandemic continued to be through uh, through 2021. I'll just wrap up on the the Canadian outlook by by saying that the the reality is, is even with the fact that growth disappointed the job market has done spectacularly well and disposable incomes have been robust. Uh, that puts uh, the consumer in relatively good shape heading into the next year. Of course we got 300 billion dollars as we've often talked about in excess savings above and beyond what Canadians would have normally spent. 
And that is serious fuel for the economy. Now, our, our view is that the job market is going to improve even further. We're ending this year, or we're ending uh, 21, with an unemployment rate around 6%. We could easily see that jobless rate get down to about 5% over the next year. We haven't seen a 5% unemployment rate in the past 50 years. So I think even though we've got a lot of uncertainty, a lot of challenges, I'm relatively optimistic on the economy over the next year. Yeah, I think that's where Canada really stands um, head and shoulders above the U.S. is, is the labor market. Just given the tremendous recovery of, of lost jobs and the, the sharp decline in the unemployment rate, and in particular, the fact that participation rate is back to pre-virus levels, uh, just a great performance by any uh, measure. Now, the U.S. economically has had a smoother ride uh, than Canada this year, and a, and a stronger one. It looks to have pretty good momentum uh, heading into the, the new year. Uh, it has regained um, all its recession recession losses pretty quickly within a year of the shutdowns. So by the second quarter, it did stumble a, a little bit in the third quarter, but it, see, it seems to be regaining momentum after the emergency UI benefits ended and, and another COVID wave struck. So we're looking at um, upwards of 5% growth in the current quarter for the U.S. economy and should cap a year of about 5.5% growth. So pretty strong I think the only thing really holding back the economy is it's not demand, it's the supply side. Um, there are some tentative signs of easing here on microchips. The port log jams seem to be opening up a little bit. Freight charges have come off a bit. But the real problem is on the labor side, uh, and that's going to take a lot longer to resolve. The labor shortages are clearly worsening uh, near record 11 million job openings, just swamping the number of unemployed and the big problem for the U.S., unlike Canada, is just this low rate of participation, uh, which is really holding back, uh, the old, I think, the overall recovery in the economy and, and, of course, the labor market. Now, because of the supply issues and some restrictions and anxiety about Omicron, I think growth will moderate in 2022, but still remain pretty strong. As long as real policy rates are deeply negative, and in fact, the lowest in four decades in inflation-adjusted terms, the demands of the economy at least will be ripping. Consumers, usual with the U.S., uh, will probably lead the recovery. Wages are heating up, not keeping up with inflation, but at least providing some support to spending. Wealth has been soaring on the back of the explosion in house prices and record equity markets. And I think more fundamentally, it's just this, this excess savings that's been accumulated through through the pandemic, upwards of, of $2 trillion now. You're talking about 13% of disposable income. So that's going to provide pretty steady support to spending, not just for a quarter or two, but probably for the next year or two. Uh, business investment is on upswing as, as businesses really need to load up on tech gear to address some of these worker shortages. The housing market, very strong. Uh, Prices probably too strong for their own good, rising at a 20% annual rate. I think there's fundamental demand there from the millennials, teleworkers, even investors taking advantage of these, are attracted to these rising rents. We're probably going to see the housing market moderate a bit in the U.S. as interest rates rise, but I think it's going to be a pretty healthy year for housing. American exports probably will be supported by steady growth in the global economy. We're looking at near 4.5% growth through next year for the world. So that's going to help U.S. exporters. And I think, amazing as it sounds, we're probably still going to get a little more fiscal support 
for the U.S. economy. The infrastructure spending will add slightly. And once the Build Back Better plan is enacted, passed and enacted, I think that's going to provide us a moderate support as well. Perhaps the only the one near-term risk is Build Back Better is not passed. We'll see the expanded child tax credit end after this month. And that's been adding about a percent to disposable income each month. But overall, I think we're looking at a U.S. economy that could grow 3.5% in 2022. Yeah, it's a couple percentage points slower than, than this year, but uh, still double long-run potential. Jennifer, Europe has had a, a tougher battle with COVID than, than North America. What is the situation on the other side of the pond? How is the euro area economy holding up and where do you see it going next year? Thanks, Sal. So I feel like the Europe Euro area has been stuck on this like roller coaster ride, and I'm sure that they're all trying to they're all screaming, "Get me off of this thing." Europe was actually in pretty good shape until we started the fourth quarter, and then we saw the energy crisis hit, and that saw natural gas prices soar. Um, and most recently, like everywhere else around the world, we've got the onset of the Omicron variant, which has now prompted most, if not all countries, I think, to implement some sort of restrictions, although they are mainly directed at those who are not vaccinated. Now, of course, the restrictions, thankfully, are nothing like what we saw in 2020. Austria was actually the extreme case this, this time around. They locked down the country completely for a month, and they became the first EU nation to make a vaccination mandatory. And the Netherlands, meantime, had a sort of a partial lockdown. But I think any expectation that the euro area's economy is going to return to pre-pandemic levels this year were sort of like the elf put on the shelf. Now for next year, for 2022, we do see growth fairly solid at around 4.5% pace, and that's down from a record 5.3% this year. Still a number of positives that, that we can't ignore and that are still very supportive. They've, they've got very high level of household savings. We're expecting easing in the supply problems by mid-year. And of course, we still have very accommodative financial conditions. This is also still a lot of fiscal support, like in the U.S., in the form of the 750 billion euro EU recovery fund. And all the different euro nations are going to use all the various grants and loans to help overhaul their various economies, like Italy is doing right now, for example. And it's going to help them prepare for more climate-friendly policies. But there are still three factors, I think, that are going to be have to they're gonna have to be watched very carefully and they are probably going to be weighing on growth in the first half of 2022. Number one, again, the sharp increase in the number of COVID uh, cases, which I said earlier is forcing more restrictions to be put in place, primarily aimed at those who are uh, not vaxxed. So countries uh, with low vaccination rates, particularly in Eastern Europe, they're going to be the ones that are going to be suffering more. Another factor, the clogged supply chains. Uh, and in particular, the chip shortage. And that's really impacting Europe's biggest economy more than others, just given the importance of the auto sector to, of course, I'm talking about Germany here, Germany's manufacturers and its exporters. And finally, energy prices, they've helped push the euro area's inflation rate to its highest um, level in about three decades at just under 5%. So I think unlike its counterparts in the UK and in North America, I think for the ECB, they're probably gonna drag their heels when it comes to normalizing policy. It just does not want to dial back the support too quickly and risk cutting this recovery too short. So it sounds like a pretty good year for Europe as well, although they're dealing with more uh, uh, virus-related restrictions, still have plenty of policy support. And unlike North America, probably don't have to worry about interest rates going up for at least another year. 
looks like things are, are going to move along pretty well on that side of the pond. Ben, central banks uh, still seem conflicted between uh, keeping rates at crisis levels to support more progress in labor markets and raising them to deal with the elephant in the room, mounting and far from transitory inflation. Let's start with the Bank of Canada, as it seems a little more eager to begin tightening than the Fed. Thanks, Al. Starting with the Bank of Canada, they have been uh, a little bit more aggressive than the Federal Reserve for sure, but there, there have been other global central banks that have already started raising rates. So Canada is not quite in the lead here, but uh, among uh, between the, the bank and the Fed, they're clearly ahead. At this point, we are expecting the first rate hike to come in April of 2022 with 1% or 100 basis points of rate hikes coming through the course of 2022. That That is entirely, as you mentioned, Due to inflation, inflation uh, is, is above the Bank of Canada's target, and that's the case for most central banks. But uh, the bank has been uh, less tolerant of that inflation, I think, than the Fed for sure, and that's been reflected in the way they've behaved thus far. As Doug mentioned, though, earlier in the podcast, there's a big asterisk around all of this. If Omicron disrupts the recovery and and the economy in the first quarter, that timeline could get pushed back. We could get fewer rate hikes in 2022 than expected. And maybe some of that gets pushed into 2023 as as things uh, recover, maybe uh, a little bit more slowly or just a little bit more delayed generally. Looking at the labor market versus the inflation backdrop, and that's been the battle that the Bank of Canada and, and other central banks have been fighting is how quickly do you try to fight inflation while you're, the economy is still recovering from the pandemic and, and each successive wave here? At this point, with, with the unemployment rate not far from pre-pandemic levels in Canada and, and even closer in the U.S., it, it's difficult to say that there's much slack left in the labor market in Canada or, or the U.S. for that matter. And, and so the Bank of Canada has a, a good opportunity here. I think that the door is open for them to move on rates. We just really do need to see what happens with Omicron here and if things do worsen over the next few weeks and months. Does the uh, new inflation employment framework change much for the bank? What the bank and the government have agreed to is really just codifying what the bank has already been doing. They're just matching the bank's mandate with reality. For some time now, the Bank of Canada has been focused on employment and the labor market, as that is a key driver of inflation. And, and so they're just putting that in, in, into writing at this point. One, probably the one key difference is that there's a little bit more focus from an inflation perspective on the 1% to 3% target band. So the Bank of Canada historically has targeted 2% inflation, and they have a tolerance band of between 1% and 3%. So they can miss by one percentage point on either side and be relatively comfortable. What the new mandate has done is made them a little more comfortable. They're, they're much less focused on that 2% and hitting that over time. Uh, and they're okay with missing on either side. And, and what missing on either side means is that if inflation's running at 2.5% or, or somewhere between 2 and 3%, they're much more willing to allow that to run at that level if there's still some labor market healing that needs to be done, if the unemployment rate can come down further, if there are more jobs to be had. And so that, that's the dynamic that's changed a little bit. It really isn't a sea change by any means. Uh, it, it's just codifying what, what's already, what, what they've already been doing. Yeah, it sounds like they're taking a, a few paragraphs from the Fed's playbook a little bit. And talking of flexibility, the Fed certainly has been pretty flexible in its tolerance for inflation. 7% inflation and a 4% unemployment rate 
it still could be adding stimulus with its bond purchases for several more months. When will it pull the rate trigger? We're expecting the Federal Reserve to raise rates in the middle of next year uh, and, and at a bit of a slower pace, uh, rate hikes quarterly thereafter. The Fed is still providing stimulus. They're still buying treasuries and, and, and mortgage-backed securities on a monthly basis. They are expected to continue to pair that buying over the course of the next several months. But that, at, until they're done buying those bonds, they're not going to start raising rates. And again, Everything comes with a big asterisk. If Omicron trips up the recovery at all here in the economy in the first quarter, that could get delayed a bit, that, that rate hike timeline. But the Fed is dealing with higher inflation than a number of other countries. And the reality on the ground in the U.S. is there's much less tolerance for pandemic-type restrictions than there are uh, in, in Canada, for example, or, or in Europe. And so there will likely be less of an economic impact of this wave if we do get one. And so that that should keep the Fed likely on a path to start raising rates by the middle of next year. Speaking of delaying tightening, uh, Jennifer, will the ECB even consider tightening policy uh, next year? Nothing is impossible, but I'd be really surprised if they did something. It sounds like all the excitement is going to be here in North America. In Europe, I'm going to say that interest rates are probably going to remain quite low. And this is even as the 1.85 trillion euro pandemic emergency purchase program, or PEP for short, ends this coming March. Now, they're just not going to let it wind down and do nothing else. I think uh, to offset some of the impact, the ECB is probably going to do something else, increase its bond purchases that's allowed by the regular asset purchase program. Right now, that's set at $20 billion per month. So they're probably going to raise it either mildly or aggressively, depending on what the hawks say. But I think the hawks on the ECB, they're going to make sure that there will be limitations on how much you can buy every month and how long this whole program is going to last. But for sure, until all these bond purchases are done, there will be no rate hikes. Doug, you have been uh, at the forefront of warning about higher inflation, and and I suspect you're still pretty uh, concerned on this front. Uh, Do you suspect central banks have perhaps fallen behind the curve, risking uh, some serious catching up that in the past has, has rarely ended well for the economy. Uh, in terms of catch up, the short answer is yes, there's a lot to catch up. And I'm just going to riff off of something that Jennifer mentioned. I will just point out that we're in a very weird world where Germany right now has 6% inflation and they're dealing with zero interest rates. That is unbelievable. And I think that's uh, that's just a statement in terms of how I guess, stimulative or lax central banks have been in the last two years amid this highly unusual economic episode that they've let inflation run this hot. But you can sense that the wheel is turning and that they are they are getting ready, preparing to start raising interest rates, certainly in North America. The language or the body language from from the Fed has shifted very abruptly, as has been indicated. And it, it is because inflation I do think they are behind the curve, Under, understandably so, given this very unusual episode we've been through. The, the world is going to change in the year ahead. We're, we're going to see central banks bear down a lot more heavily on, on inflation. Are they fatally behind the curve? I don't think so. I think they can make up uh, for what's gone on. And I do think some of the supply issues that have uh, c- partly created this inflation episode will likely improve over the next year. You know, yes, we've we've definitely been on the high side warning about inflation. We continue to believe that the risks are above what the consensus thinks. We believe it'll stay a bit stickier for longer. I'm worried about the strength in wages. I'm worried about the strength in home prices. These things are c- going to continue to uh, support core inflation. 
But just on the arithmetic, provided things like energy prices don't go up even more uh, than what we've seen them go up in the past year, uh, some of the reopening pressures, some of the supply chain pressures will lighten up a little bit over, over the next year. So we believe inflation will relent somewhat over the next year. But again, I, I would just point out that our official call is for inflation to average 3.5% in Canada over the next year. We have not seen inflation average more than 3% for a full calendar year since 1991. This is a highly unusual episode that we're in. And, and I continue to th- believe that if we're going to be surprised, it's to the high side, not to the low side on inflation over the next year. Well, to wrap up, I guess if we can tame inflation and Omicron, 2022 should be a pretty good year for the economy, though not as strong as this year. Interest rates uh, will finally rise, at least on this side of the pond, and possibly by more than uh, markets expect if inflation doesn't behave. Investors will need to stay on their toes for signs of inflation persistence. So thanks, um, everyone here, for the discussion. And to our listeners, uh, we hope uh, our insights help you make uh, wise investment decisions in the new year. All the best. Thanks for listening to BMO Smarter Investing, podcast brought to you by BMO Investor Line. We're here to empower Canadians to invest smarter. For more information about how you can start investing today, visit BMO.com slash online investing. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get the latest episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts.